0: So in your childhood, did you feel shackled somehow? Yeah, absolutely. Why did you feel that as a child, do you think?
1: Well, the simple answer is that I felt totally alone in terms of what I found beautiful. I didn't feel that the people I had around me thought the same as I did or saw the things that I saw. I've always felt on the outside looking in, always. That's, That's a really profound thing to say. Were you just born like that, do you think? No, I don't think I was... I just think I was I was somehow molded to think to really only focus
0: on beauty because what you described actually so I mean I I haven't seen any pictures of it but the pubs that you grew up in in Cheshire presumably they're not like aesthetically the most beautiful things in the world so 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 where does where does that sensibility of yours come from I mean that's
1: remarkable I think It probably starts from the desire to disappear into something and that can be me listening to someone at the bar, a six-year-old guy at the bar, talk about his marriage falling apart and hearing that tremble in his voice at that point and and understanding the scale of that.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homing In podcast. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of design-led estate agency The Modern House. Today, I'm chatting to the swashbuckling artist and restaurateur Johnny Gent. We recorded this episode during a busy lunch service at Sessions Arts Club, which is Johnny's inspirational restaurant in Clerkenwell. It's fair to say that he'd emboldened himself with a few martinis beforehand, uh, and what ensued was a conversation that very much represents the man himself. Unstructured, poetic, and very generous. Johnny's a brilliant painter and his artworks range from the sexualised and salacious to the tenderly painted still lifes that are a tribute to his late mother. After getting himself through art school he met a casting director who wrote him a check for every painting he'd ever made. What followed was a journey that took him to more than 20 countries around the world, establishing art studios in everything from a cabin in Scotland to a tobacco factory in France. Now approaching his late 40s, he's finally starting to put down some roots. As well as having a permanent home in London, he spends a lot of time in the Scottish Highlands where he's opened a retreat for creatives called Both House. Much like Sessions Arts Club, it explores the confluence of art, food and music. Johnny says of his childhood, I felt totally alone in what I found beautiful. He begins by telling me about the Slow and Easy, which is the pub he grew up in, and the lasting impact of 500 strangers coming into his home every day. There's a bit of bad language in this episode, so maybe not one to listen to when the kids are around, Um, but here it is, and I very much hope you enjoy it.
1: I was born in a pub in Cheshire in the Northgate arms is the first pub. My mother and father had pubs our whole lives and the first time I lived in a house was when I was 19 when I went to Edinburgh art school. So we always lived above a pub and restaurant. Okay. And my grandfather was head brewer at Greenall Whitley's, which was the huge big brewing company. My grandma had three fish and chip shops. And the only time my mum ventured out of this world was she was a hairdresser. She got three hairdressing so but we lived above them the whole time and the slow and easy was massive so you're talking about yeah, 500 people a day coming through those doors so 500 strangers and my father was pretty loose about me hanging about the pub so i'd sit at the bar in the age of three four and putting stones in people's pint glasses and, and listening to drunks and people sat yeah. there with their heads cut open because they've been fighting yeah. affairs and so lots of sex and gore and And the northwest of England in kind of early 80s. Yes. And then a brother that was incredible, a brother that was five years older, and an amazing drawer, and and he could draw you now perfectly, and was in bands, death metal bands, black metal, a huge influence on me through music. and, And I was in bands with him as I grew up. So having all that stuff going on, I think that was the first place that I really discovered romance and my addiction to romance. And then at the side of that, you've got my mum who was beautiful and blonde and was a chef. Uh, so she was, was a chef in the pub? She was, yeah. She went to catering school in, in St. Helens, but she would always call herself a cook, obviously, never a chef. Of course. And, but she was also incredibly glamorous, so was cooking a lot and also would work the bar. And I would see lots of men fancying her because she was beautiful and the earrings and the nails and the heels and stuff. <laughs> so you have all that going on. Then you have behind that, you have a team of maybe 40 Waitresses, chefs, bar people, and they're all fucking each other. And you're part of that. And there's a lot of stuff going on, which is some of it incredibly lovely and beautiful and naive, and, and some of it that is really dark and northern. And... <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's focus on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Great. Right, yeah. homing in on the, uh, yes. the dark
1: northern stuff.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, so for a child, what what's it like to grow up with no boundaries in that way. How do you look back on that? Because that's that's unusual to have that level of exposure to that kind of world at a young age.
1: Yeah, the no boundaries. I mean, I went to a strict Catholic school, brought up very Catholic. My, and my dad was very strict. Classic Northern, flat cap wearing. Okay. So it wasn't like we didn't have boundaries. It was more just, it was a canvas and it enabled me to really have no, I don't know, I'm jumping a lot forward, but I think that when I sit in front of a canvas and start to work on a painting. All that stuff. I I never really suffered from writer's block or any of that kind of stuff. Because it's all there. It's all there. You just just jump back into it. But uh, I had boundaries. Yeah, Mm. okay.
0: And did you think it was unusual, like your upbringing at the time? Did you think, you know, well, I'm living above a pub, whereas all my other friends live in a house. For example. Yeah, I did. felt
1: I probably got a bit of arrogance as a and very confident because I'm talking to adults a lot, but also because we had the biggest house in the village or the town because it was the pub. So I would swan around a little bit. And also I, I felt a bit trying to word it nicely because I wasn't I certainly wasn't a hideous little child. But it was I guess it was just a confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Because I knew that they all wanted to hang out there. The locals wanted to hang out The villagers wanted to hang out there. So
0: it was a very successful place by Sunday. He
1: always ran successful places. Right. Why were they successful? Because he was militant. You know, good with numbers. You know, he would have a football team that would come every Sunday. And the chips, you could barely eat them because they were so salty. But the guys were loving them. And, of course, salty chips equals lots more drinking. Yeah. Little tiny things like that, he was very good at. And he also had pretty high standards. So, wow, that's a very unconventional
0: upbringing. But how do you feel about it now, looking back on it? Do you feel resentful of it, or do you think it was the making of you, in a way?
1: Oh, I'm intrigued by how you can't shake it and and the idea of how you can spend half your life trying to shake who you are and what you, you were at that point. I think it was always inevitable that I would come back to doing something that involved hospitality. and Yeah.
0: Because, because that's all
1: you knew. Because that's all I knew. But also, that was my first obsession: was that I understood the trade of looking after someone, mm. and I saw the power in doing that, and the and the and the beauty of that. And my paintings were about human complication; they were about people. So everything's been intertwined, you know, from how it started. And from the age of twelve, I was you know bottling up. Then I was working behind the bar. Then I was a, a, a kitchen porter. I was working the kitchen with my mum, and so I was always in it and doing it. But I just got lucky. And I went to Edinburgh Art School, and then. I was out two weeks and I'd got a studio in Glasgow Yeah. and I was outside having a cigarette and this guy walked past and said, oh, I'm casting for this movie if you want to come and cast for it. And I was like, I'm I'm not an actor, I'm a painter. And he said, okay, show me. So I took him downstairs and he he, he said, how much do you want for everything? And I thought, okay, I've got a lunatic. Yeah. So I called my girlfriend, now wife at the time and said, what do you think I should do? And she said, How many have you got? Ten. So ask for ten grand. So I asked for ten grand and he wrote the check. And I thought, Well, this is not going to cash. But I took it the next day and it cashed. And it turns out he was a casting director, still Europe's greatest casting director. He works with David Lynch, Gaspar Noah, Mike Lee. I mean, he's an amazing guy, known for picking kids off the street that had no acting experience. His name's Daz Hamilton. So. He came in and, and, and then he started bringing really interesting folk into the studio. Tilda uh, Swinton, Hugh McGregor, McGregor uh, Michael Caine. How old are you at this point? When did you graduate? At 21 maybe is it? And started selling a lot and people coming in and they were buying. And I quickly, I knew nothing about the art world or even at Edinburgh Art School I was nearly kicked out a couple of times. And why, out of interest, why did you decide to do that? I mean, what was it about
0: painting or drawing that made you want to go through that process? Just
1: poetry. I, I always had a... You know, the glimpses of stuff. That's what intrigued me. And my obsession is romance and poetry and just the beauty of stuff. I was smitten by that. And I felt, I guess that's where I felt kind of different as a child to my surroundings.
0: Well, you said, you said earlier that you discovered romance when
1: you were growing up in the pub. But what, what, what does that mean? Everything is there. And I couldn't help but absorb all of that. You know, affairs and whispers and secrets and, you know, that sex in the room when you walk in where you can... It was just... It was full of it all. And it was so addictive and I loved it. And that was my happy time. I don't know. I mean, I think probably there's other stuff going on there that would be, you know, that we might need maybe, I don't know, six six months and about a couple of sessions a week on. But... But I think what I like to do is package it as romance. Uh, Okay, I'm with you. So... Back to, Ed- to Edinburgh and then graduating in Glasgow and having the paintings there and having people come in and me quickly realizing it. I mean, I've said it before, I really, I'm a car salesman at heart. That's really all I am. And so I said to Des, look, you know lots of interesting people that have money and shall we do a deal? And we went, we drove that day and he got a lawyer and we signed a contract where for the next two years he owned everything I did and we went oh, 50-50 wow. on it. And, and we were selling lots. And then a couple of magazines picked up on this, Days and Confused, an ID magazine, and then I did a couple of pieces there, and then I did a story in the Herald, the local Glasgow paper, and they talked about an artist that wasn't represented but was selling. Yeah. And then Sadie Coles came up from Glasgow a couple of times, and I met with her. And, um, and I was, you know, I had no idea how it worked. I remember the first time I met Sadie I was when we we're doing a show. And she was well it doesn't really work like that you know it's <laughs> you've got 10 paintings you know, you know i remember saying you should paint that one 50 times and me not getting my head around it and, and not understanding right. the influence of a gallerist i came down to london to to meet with Sadie and i stumbled and i was lost this was before google maps and things and i walked into entwistle gallery on cork street and there was a, a gallerist there called darren fluke who was looking after that and. And I asked him where I was, do you, know, you know where Sadie Coles is? And he said, yeah, yeah, why are you going? And we struggled a conversation. And then he said, oh, well, let's see your work. And I gave him a CD with my work on. Oh. And he flicked through it and he was, oh, this is lovely. And, and we got talking a bit more. And then he offered me a show at his, he'd just done a show with Richard Kern, the photographer. And he had this amazing, which is still one of, I think, one of the coolest galleries. And I think he's one of the coolest galleries. He's actually on the art committee here at Sessions now. And I did a show with him and Christabel Stewart, who is now at Tank Magazine. And they had a lovely gallery there. But at that show, a band called The Darkness came to that show, and they asked me if I wanted to be a, a war artist for them. On so They were just breaking at this point. And when they were breaking, they they really broke. They, they were, did, didn't I they? I mean, they were number one in the U.S., the college charts. They, they sold out the Henry Fonda seven nights in a row. They were mega. Um, so a
0: war artist being essentially someone that travels around with them, documents what they're doing yeah. in the form of
1: drawings as you can imagine it was a huge success (laughs) lost every drawing that we made on that tour but not one piece there was a war
0: just nothing came out of it oh there was
1: a, a battle every night yeah so i started in la and my friend who's amy mullins who was who was one of the first people to come to my studio in glasgow and she was amazing for me in the early days she was pushing my work and she is She's incredible. She was, she's uh, an actor, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but she's just incredible. And she said, oh, you need to meet this guy, John Papsidira, he's a casting director out there. And I thought, okay, here we go. So I, one night I went into his offices in, in Culver City and laid out the work. And he said, how much do you want for everything? And I thought, ah, these Again. casting directors really like my work. This is my... Wow. So he was just opening up a gallery in L.A. Anyway, he, he bought that stuff, and then we started... He he became my agent out in L.A., and we started selling quite a lot of work. And at this point, I was probably 25 or something, 26. Mm. And we were moving, between the two, moving a lot of work. So I, I rented a tobacco factory in in Chiron, in just outside of Limoges in France, Yeah, with my wife. And that was our first kind of studio outside of the UK and then I really from that point just became so addicted to creating these little spaces so then what I would do is I would go and take another space and I would kind of do it up a little bit and there was all they were always weird little spots and I've probably had over 40 studios have uh, you really in Bangkok Monaco Venezuela LA the highlands New York London Scotland and I don't hold on to them for too long, but there's one that I really h- held on to, which was in the Highlands. It was such a lovely space. It was an old cabin that was used, and on the side of it you had a hanging room for animals and for, for stuff that you would catch. And, yeah. And I rented this house, and my, my daughter, Alba, was born there. And, and this became my ultimate car salesman's trick, that I would invite collectors up to stay with me at this studio. And I would get them drunk or high, and we'd go fishing for salmon, and we'd collect chanterelle mushrooms, and then we'd go on this beautiful adventure, and then we'd come back to the studio where I'd always have an amazing sound system, handmade in Glasgow, beautiful. And we would play great music, I'd have a tailor, or we'd have somebody in there making something. And we would go on this lovely journey, and by the time we got back and I'd, un- I'd unveil the painting, oh, I'll take it. That was That's the kind of sinister side to, the, to this cabin. <laughs> But I realized within the years of doing this, that this was such a beautiful environment and a sanctuary that we were creating that, that on the pillars of art, food, and music. And anyway, I had this place, and then I did a deal with a gallery in Dubai to go. And I, We went out, moved the family out to Dubai, and I was out there for maybe a year, and it wasn't working out, and, and I was struggling. My wife was, is a teacher, and, you know, was kind of holding down everything. There's, you know, as painters. I can have a good chunk of cash and then I'll have nothing for a year. And that's been kind of my story. Yeah. And then this deal fell through in Dubai and I was out there and the costs, you know. And then I thought, I thought about the Highlands and the cabin and I missed it. And I got an email through saying that we have to, we have to take it back because we've got a new groundsman in and they need it for storage. And, And so I lost that. And that was kind of the final straw where I, I felt totally disconnected from everything really. So I wrote this concept called Cabin, which was about setting up a hospitality space where it's about food, art, and music. And I, I was fascinated by the idea of not hiring people from that world, but hiring kids that were interested in romance and design and filling the room with those people. So I wrote this thing out and I, I had this young, amazing Emirati art collector called Rami Farouk, who saw the concept and he said, would you do it in Dubai? Selfishly, I thought, actually, I could do it in Dubai. Yeah. And if I fuck it up, which is highly likely, yeah. then I can leave and get on no with my life know. and no one will know. Yeah. And sneakily, I also so, thought I could test it here see. and really understand where I can push it and what it's worth. And if people... If, if, if the type of people that are hanging out in Dubai at that point would come and all that. So it was really interesting to me. Anyway, and, and I'd already been driving around. You know, I dropped the kids at school in Dubai and I'd drive around this blade. I don't know if you've been to Dubai. Never. Was it, I mean, what's it, what's it like? On some level, I love it. You feel like you're in, in the movie Blade Runner and, and the dust and the light and the buildings and the shine is all, it's lovely. And, and then, of course, there's so much hideousness yeah. about it as well. Um and you know, jazz is never gonna be created in Dubai. So I couldn't I felt lost on every level being there. But I thought let's give it a crack and, and I found this old abandoned car park in the middle of the desert in a place that people would not be going to in it. Dubai. And it's a wasteland, it's nothing, it's just desert. Wow. And of course, I called the agent, the owner of the building, and said, I've seen this car park, I'm really... It was my very naive, and I was like, I'm very intrigued in renting it, and surely you're not doing anything with it. Oh, we have huge plans for this <laughs> abandoned shithole of a car park in the middle of the desert, and the rent is... At... Anyway, learned a pretty good lesson there. So, I just got this space, glass-fronted it, and we had... we and, and I did everything top to bottom, so I built the furniture, and we had... I made lovely... Because Rami had a publishing company so we made these lovely drawing books archival with gold leaf and they were beautiful pieces actually didn't make a penny on them and uh, candles so I made candles based on some of the studios that I had um, and I worked with a great company out in grass in the south of France and I had so I had a candle from the highlands and one from Dubai and one from LA where where I'm obsessed by and then I partnered with a couple of young stylists out there uh, amazing Cheb Mohar which has... That works with Gucci and lots of amazing people, and he was making these T-shirts and jackets. So we would, they, I worked with him to design our first clothing range. So there was a lot of stuff going on, and then artists in residence. Our first show we had Warhol, Tracy Emin, Jake and Dinos Chapman. They were, it was a big show, um, and the place went mad within within a month. You couldn't get a seat. You know, it was, wow, it was it was quite something. And I didn't build a path into the restaurant, so people were arriving with their heels and walking through sand and furious. That's interesting, by the way, because it's the first time I've been here,
0: the Sessions Arts Club, and I, one of the things I love is that you arrive and you're not entirely sure where you should go. Yeah. The front door's pretty stealthy, right? Yeah. You go in from the bright outside, it's extremely dark.
1: Yeah, that was a big Entrance decision. Yeah.
0: And it's amazing. And then, and then you think that there's someone there, but you have to feel your way along the walls yeah. to know, and then, And then you tell her you've got a reservation. And then you have to feel your way around to the lift and find the button. Yeah. And then and then as you come up to the fourth floor and you emerge into this space, there's such yeah. a sense of arrival, isn't there? And I think that, yes. that must be something. I mean, you're, you're kind of
1: describing a similar thing there in a way. And that's Lynch again and Herzog and all these people and, okay. and thinking about the arrival and having no signage and and feeling slightly awkward and and off-kilter and and exactly you described it very eloquently that curtain is unveiled and you step in and suddenly you feel the warmth because it was that rabbit warren i was trying to create that was the studio in in the highlands that's what you get you it's difficult and you move through river and forest and and then you come across it and everything in there is things that you know so it's music so you, so and you art. think it's also about the journey to the place absolutely yeah yeah journey yeah I think building that so you're, you're talking about the
0: highlands so as, as well as this place you've got both house uh, yeah. in the highlands so t- tell me about how, how how have you ended up with London and the Highlands as a bit of an axis because you described how you had what was it 20 studios in yeah how many years it was so you've had a very peripatetic existence. What, deliberately not putting down roots or just not finding the place where you felt Yes. You've Deli- nailed deliberately. deliberately. Okay Because deliberately. the work
1: was about movement. The work was okay. about that feeling of, of of constant homesickness of never really being settled anywhere.
0: Well can I ask you about that? So if you if you're if you're moving that much, I mean obviously this is a, a conversation about, you know, a sense of home, I suppose, a sense of place. So did you, did you not feel that you needed to put roots down?
1: no quite the opposite i didn't didn't want I didn't want to have roots at all because I guess that equates to childhood somehow and, and, and the constraints that that would bring to me emotionally and I think the idea that i I could be anyone at any point So in
0: your childhood did you feel shackled somehow
1: Yeah, absolutely that's what? why l a is and is and will always be my favorite place because when I walk down through Santa Monica or through anywhere, I'm, I'm absolutely anyone. and I'm, I'm probably happiest right there. Okay. Uh, so I think it, it's all linked back to that, yeah.
0: So what, And why, why did you feel that as a child, do you think?
1: Well, I, the simple answer is that I felt totally alone in terms of what I found beautiful. That's probably the simplest answer. I didn't feel that the people I had around me thought the same as I did or saw the things that I saw. Oh. And it was—I've always felt uh, on the outside looking in. Always.
0: That's that's a really profound thing to say. Why? Why, why do you, Were you just born like that? Do you
1: think? No, I don't think I was. I just think I was. I was somehow molded to think. To really only focus on beauty, probably, and and what those things were that that. I don't really want to say force, because I'm 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 really overjoyed at how I look at things. I don't I don't see it as in any way. I don't feel burnt by how I look at the world. Yeah. Quite the opposite.
0: But do you think it comes from a place of pain somehow?
1: Yeah, I think it has to.
0: Yeah. 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 Because what you described, actually, so, I mean, I, I haven't seen any pictures of it, but the pubs that you grew up in in Cheshire, presumably they're not, like, aesthetically the most beautiful things oh, in the world. No. So, so so, where does where does that sensibility of yours come from? I right. mean, that's remarkable.
1: I think... It probably starts from the desire to disappear into something and that can be me listening to someone at the bar, a six year old guy at the bar, talk about his marriage falling apart and hearing that tremble in his voice at that point and, and understanding the scale of that. And I think and and wanting to get into that and feeling the beauty of that. That's probably I don't know why Jamie Oliver's popped into my head, but he In fact, I met Jamie here through a friend of mine who is Dexter Fletcher, the... And Dexter said, Oh, I have to bring my pal Jamie here. And I said, I'd love to meet Jamie because Jamie grew up in pubs and... Yes, of course, yeah. So he he brought him here and I remember being really excited to jump into that. But there I've only ever met... So Jamie I've met and then I've met one other person in my life who was also brought up in a pub and there was an oddness about him. I'm not saying Jamie Oliver's odd. But the three of us are the people that I've met and they will all, the, the thing that drives them, the thing that they see and the thing that they adore yeah. comes from that line. <laughs> I don't know what his journey is, but my guess is it will be as, 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 as beautiful and as horrific as mine. Yeah. yeah. It goes back to that 500 people coming into your house every day. That's amazing. With that you get, you get, it's a broad brush of stuff.
0: And, did, and uh, I mean, one of the things we talk about quite a lot on this podcast is is, is having a sense of personal space.
1: So did you ever get that? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the place was so huge. So I would I would have my I would have my secret spots all over. OK, P's, so disappear locks things. I had, you know, yeah. dens that were built that no one knew about.
0: Yeah. So that's actually w- wildly imaginative
1: then. Oh, it was wildly imaginative. Yeah. yeah. And then I had, a, you know, a, my brother, he was, he was a magician himself. You know, I, I remember, we, even though we had probably, you know, 14 bedrooms in our house, we would sleep, slept together in the, until we were probably 14 or something. Oh, did you? And he would do, he would lie in his bed at night and he would say to me, just think of anything. And I would, I would say a car. And he'd pull a car out from the duvet. Tennis racket, tennis racket.
0: An actual tennis
1: racket. So he kind of was playing these games as well throughout my childhood. And he would do, and that's the tip of the iceberg, he would do incredible things. He would you know, lay me down, he would, we would get under a duvet together. And then he would say, there's someone there. You cannot leave this duvet, but I'm going to go and check. And he would go, and I would be maybe five or something, and yeah. he would be ten. yeah, And he would go. 4 hours really That's so these so sweet. sweet and and uh, and uh, and kind of you know i mean you could look at that in another but no, way no so it's magical though but magical and yeah. stuff was happening so yeah. i had that going on on one side and then you had this massive house and then you have all these people coming through so it was just I, I should probably speak to a few more people that have had pubs and things. I don't know. I don't know what they're up.
0: To. Yeah. I th- yeah. It sounds like they. sounds like there'd be some common ground there. Uh, yeah. Do you? Are you close to your brother now?
1: Yes. What? what so what does he do? Uh, he's been many things. He was in a really successful band called Qua... Well, not really successful. They were about to be called Quatus, which was a black metal band. Um, and then, then he went to Sicily. That fell through. The drummer. Something tragic happened. That didn't happen. And, that, and then they were on the verge of. They, they were coming to London from the north and playing to 2,000 people and uh, Sony and a big deal. And then that fell through. I think that kind of maneuvered his life as well into a different. And he was studying photography. And then he moved to Sicily and then France. And then he was a builder and then he was doing other projects. And, then, and now he's a fireman in Cheshire. Is he really? Oh, yeah. oh. wow. Which, which is fascinating. Yeah. So hunky. Mm, very hunky. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So tell us about your art. It's a pretty diverse oeuvre, isn't it? I mean, I I actually made a note of this. Because, oh, here we go. Because that was it's called Winston's Flowers. So that this painting of Winston's Flowers really struck me because it's incredibly tender, poignant. I think painting mm. beautiful. And then some of your work is highly kind of sexualized, salacious. You know, sort of opposite end of the spectrum. Mm. So tell me about that. Is that is that the sort of two sides of you and your upbringing and your life kind of coming together yeah
1: yeah funny that you because that's exactly it yeah you've, yeah you've really yeah really got it i read a book called painting as a pastime i don't know if you've read that which is no. a book that winston wrote on painting that's actually lovely i don't, i'm not a some mad i don't know you know study winston's war yeah. strategy yeah. i'm not intrigued by him on any level or but his paintings and, yeah yeah but his paintings i really liked and he had a painting i think i could be wrong in this but i'm going to say it for drama i think that was his last painting he ever painted okay of the flowers and it goes back to my mum and me being obsessed by my mum, and adoring her and and her being so she's so gentle and and i think struggled her whole life with Many things, many some tragic things, and her own capabilities. I think she was same as me, dys- dyslexia and prob- probably ADHD and all that kind of stuff, and not okay. quite been able to find that groove. And, okay. and she was a painter that never yeah. painted. And, but so I started painting. They were all paintings of her vases that she would pick from the garden. and then the last ones I did of those was because they were the last flowers that she, she died a couple of years ago, and totally over it and she oh, yeah. and she the that vase was the yeah the vase that was next to her bed and she would wow. look out of her window and i realized when she started painting at the end of her life she was always painting wow. these flowers and i was like for fuck's sake you've got sure you know you can paint something more than flowers and she couldn't walk at the end of her life and she was in bed and i realized mm-hmm. that was her view out of yeah. the window that was all she could see so that's what she was painting so that mixture there that's that like that, 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 that wraps up winston's flowers yeah, painting. <laughs> God, you
0: got me going there that's that's an amazing story well um, it, i mean i have to say that that really comes through in that painting
1: really i does. painted it a few times and i'm going to really sour it now because i did a show in new york where i was selling a lot of those and i was in the back with the hair dryer trying to bang them out so i could get a <laughs> few more out the door <laughs> <Absolutely> <laughs> just to loosen rude. it up <laughs> <laughs> to mummy
0: <laughs> winston's a hundredth bunch Oof. of flowers <laughs> Well, maybe no, you. are I mean, technically, very adept. I mean, what, what are what are you? Oh, I'm useless. No, you're not. It's and I've been beautiful.
1: told I'm useless quite a lot. And I'm colour blind in all colours. I had to cheat to get into Edinburgh. Are art you school. really? This is not to say I'm not confident with the work that I make, but it's more just. It, no, that's not he? the angle not, that I'm. Not, I've been not a conventional from. kind no. of
0: you know draftsman. No. Yeah. No, but no. how do how do you feel when you're when you're making one? What's going on in your head? Like
1: a t- like a madman. Yeah. Oh. And what, what do talking, you Talking, gibbering, top off, talking to covered yourself. in paint, and I go for it, and they're really quick, and I don't hang about because I want to get out of there. It's not some lovely moment of. It's an exorcism. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Music? I, uh, I think music is probably my greatest love. Yeah. And I think talking about sessions, I, I remember what, what I saw here when Florence Welch played this dining room. Oh, wow. And. I was stood at the side of her and watched her and it was at that moment where I realized that paintings and bucks and films and things, often buildings, get built in secret, in drawings and behind in studios and then they're delivered or they're shown in their full glory. But performance like that where you get to see it happen, it was just breathtaking to see her. I remember at one point seeing her hand go up where I was, and I was watching her and I could see her preparing herself to hit the note, and I thought, Yeah, this could go anywhere. <laughs> I, nearly, I nearly went in to hit the note for her. It's the greatest thing, to see it happen in front of you. Yeah, to see incredible. that art happen in front of you, it's nothing like it. Um, so music is a huge thing, and I think in sessions it's massive, in both it's huge. We're doing this residency program in both. Billy Martin has just come out today with our autumn, so we ask interesting folk to do our playlist, and then uh, I want to ask David Lynch if he'll do something for us, then. and Neil Young we're hoping to get to do our playlist. So, and when you say huge. do your
0: playlist, when, how, and when does that get played?
1: Now, so this so, is Billy's now. So
0: someone makes a playlist for you, and you, and how long will you play it for? Just we play
1: it for the season. Everything is season. Everything's season. And at the moment we've got a solo, sh- we've got a group show on at Sessions at Both house, so the whole idea is that right, I'm trying to get a few of these on the go. Then you can have a real studio. Uh, right now I feel a bit like a fraud. You know, we call this a studio and I see the team here, at FIO, they're, they're, they see themselves and their studio assistants. And they're... We need to talk a bit about the team here as well, because when you talked before about the success of this place and why and how, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying that, I said, I said this
0: to you off, off mic, but it's impossible to get a table here and it's phenomenally successful. So... Yeah, well, what do you put that down to?
1: I think, as I said then, luck is 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 a huge part of it. I think the concept is truthful and honest and there's no bullshit in it. But it's it's 90% the team and, and the people that deliver it day in, day out. And I get really emotional when I think about them. And I often think about the time I was in here and I was... we have probably been open three months and I was having a dinner and I was looking down at Gus, who is... One of our team and he was working the bar he was on his double shift and he was exhausted and i was watching him talk to the hedge fund guy that was a jackass of which there are many and there are many that are not and i watched gus deal with him so beautifully and mm. and i was thinking about you know the pay and what they do it for and the, the beauty of how they do that. And yeah. So I think the success is down to them and their personalities. And, and, and a little bit of praise back to the concept is that the freedom of which they... The first things we said when we were hiring people is, is that bring your problems to work. We really want that. We don't want some right. smiling thing going on when you're, when you're dying at home. It's not right. Okay. And I feel that they, they are... I th- feel that they're free to express themselves. They're all incredible people with huge lives going on outside of this. Um, okay, and I so think no, they feel part of, of
0: it is, that honesty is very important um, what about the food? What, what's, what's the influence there?
1: so I came to, I, I knew no one in London I wasn't from this industry or so I came and I met with John Spiteri who founded St. John's with Fergus Henderson and within 10 minutes I, I totally fell in love with him and we actually, we talked about hospitality and the whole idea of, of what that means and what it is. And one of the first names that he talked about was Florence Knight. Uh, and I met with her within the month and adored her, loved her. She was at this point where she had a, a, another project she was thinking about that she was gonna do herself. And the timings didn't quite work out. And it was, and the space that we had at that point wasn't quite right for her. But anyway, time passed and then found this building and when we went into COVID, oh, that's a whole other story. Do we want, do we want a COVID story? Oh, definitely
0: not. Oh, no, I'm not Abort. doing COVID.
1: <laughs> uh, so anyway, COVID happened. And my first thought was, what the hell is Florence doing? So we called her, I met her here, and we talked. You know, Florence's background is fashion and textiles. Right. And talking with her and, you know, the levels that she performs at and her... Again, the truthfulness of how she works and her brutality and plating and her simplicity and how she does that and her aesthetic and all that. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was incredibly pure and simple, isn't oh, it, each, each plate? It's so difficult. Yeah. The less the chef touches the plate, the harder the job. Yeah. And her hand doesn't touch the plate that much, and that's such a gift to have that. That's yeah. such confidence, and again, composition and all that stuff. So anyway, that was, and she was in. She came in and she saw the room and she was, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. And the whole studio thing, she was loving and all that stuff. So I think the success is a combination of her strength and their focus on beauty. And, and then we're back to look, where people were. suddenly we came in here and it was be opened at the point where you, I think you, you didn't have to wear masks, And you know? mm. we sat with the team and said, look, I, I don't give a fuck if you wear masks or not. And ev- nobody wore them. Right. Interesting. So when the doors opened, people were coming here with their masks, and they were seeing the the yeah, team were not in masks And suddenly we hit that wave of, I've this is old world. This is prehistoric hospitality. Yeah, yeah. And then and the and then the fire was lit, and that was it. It's
0: really interesting. And so at both house, how how does that compare to this? Because I haven't been there. So what's it like there?
1: Very different. My my thing with both house was the the word that I was thinking about was healing okay and not in some hippie bullshit way so we have a head gardener there amazing head gardener how can we uh, have people come with us the first thing was to pick the building up and em- and em- shake it empty all the stuff out and get rid of the TVs and, and phones and all that stuff and I was obsessed by this idea of one person greeting you and one person giving you his card and one person looking after you and oh, wow, okay. total pain in the ass for mass who is the GM up there
0: yeah Right, but it's off-grid kind of thing. There's, yes. There's, there's no technology. Yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. And I knew that would be awkward and difficult and for myself, because I remember going up there in February. I was in there, and, and I was telling Natalie, my wife, about this whole idea of doing this, and I was in the bath watching Antiques Roadshow on the TV because we hadn't quite ripped them out yet, and she was, oh, sure, you don't, you don't mind the TV now, do you? <laughs> so it was about healing and doing that. I, I was also reading lots about Black Mountain College. Tell us about Black Mountain much. College. Well, I don't know much about it. Yeah. And I've been reading lots. Yeah. Um... And I'm going to get it all wrong. Yeah. And that's tend, That's how I kind of work. I pick the things and I probably, and I make them, they become fake, but they become my truths. Right.
0: So if you tell it a different way enough times, yeah. it becomes true So in my truth. mind,
1: yeah. which is totally wrong, Black Mountain College is a group of, well, it was shut down by the uh, Nazis in the Bauhaus movement. All that was shut down. It was kind of a reaction to that. And they went over to, I think, Montana, which is probably wrong. It could have been Wisconsin or Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And they built this place where they were growing they built their own studios i mean some of the great abstract expressionists were hanging out there and they had this whole it was kind of there was a lot of teachings and learning going on i love the self-sufficiency thing you know and and i was thinking of that with both of right now the cafe is probably 40 percent from the grounds we take and how do we get that to 100 and how do we really look after ourselves I was thinking about it in learning and what we can learn and how these techniques are dying and, and, and stripping them back again, back to prehistoric techniques with ceramics and all that stuff. And also the colour black I just adore. My early paintings were all black and white. and So we when I first went in and painted everything black, furniture and buildings and everything, and we would talk about this idea of not thinking about it in a hotel but thinking about it in people coming here. And learning is a really annoying thing. It's very... The minute you get, the minute you feel like you're learning something, you want to get out of there. So how do we do that? How do, how do people experience things rather than learn? Sit down and learn them. Well, first of all, it was the residency program. So that it's the three, or five or a seven day. And the idea is that if you are, so we're talking to Stuart from Bell and Sebastian. I think the idea that there is, I absolutely did not want to heavily curate this idea of what you have to do. So I think the freedom of that with someone like Stuart, the idea is that he would arrive again, work the land, We have a little studio that we're building, an old T-cam, which Springsteen and Wu-Tang Clan and lots of interesting people have recorded on. And there's some samples and there's some lovely little instruments they can use. And the idea is that he'd work the garden and record, do stuff. These are not finished articles. It's sketchbook stuff.
0: But you want people to to come, creative people to come and be inspired by the landscape and the context. and Inspired
1: by disappearing, truly disappearing, Disappearing. which they're not able to do. None of us are. That's interesting. And and what they create in that. And, and what they create is a sketchbook and it might trigger something that is bigger. And can I ask you, what, what, what will happen with that work? What do you hope that will sort of come out of the it? The hope is that they leave something behind. That's okay. all we ask from them. So both. you want
0: to try and build up a sort of archive of experiences? Almost. Yes. Yeah.
1: Whether it's a painting or a song. Yeah. With someone like Stuart, the, the dream would be that it would be, he'd actually make something that was really interesting. Then we would press 500 copies of vinyl, we okay. would hand paint. Then he would come to sessions and perform that moment I see, that it I see, had. I and then you suddenly the studios start to talk to each other and you get that and you're supporting each other yeah. and yeah and then the idea is then that the di- the main house is so in the summer the, the cafe and the grounds it's about 40 acres the grounds becomes this lovely place to hang out and it's very loose and flatbreads and pizzas and people getting loaded in the garden and then you move into the house in the winter and it becomes a bit more experience and and the food begets a bit more it's the words I think there's a there's an intensity about what we want to give the clients. Clients? Guests? Yeah. Let's leave clients in. <laughs> mm. Cheers, this martini looks good. Oh, it the looks, martinis. Looks lethal. And mums. Cheers. Martinis and mums. Well, we've done mums, haven't we? Uh,
0: to wives. You can never do enough mums. To partners. <laughs> to wives, tell me about your wife. Oh, wow. Is it,
1: how long have you been with her? I wasn't expecting you to have such... I don't know anything about you. But I wasn't expecting you to have such ruthless ability to strip me to the core. <laughs> <laughs> she is long-suffering. I, I, and she's going to hate this, and I'm going to get it out, and I'm going to tell on. it. Because she every time she tells me not to say it, to random people, to friends, never mind on a podcast... So I can't wait, she's going to hate me. She, I was at a very strict Catholic school in the north of England, and her father is Scottish and mother is Irish, but they, they did very well, and they were off in international schools in the Middle East and Switzerland, total opposite to my life. But she arrived at my school, St. Nicholas R.C. High School, when she was 15, and I remember going to a Rocky Horror Picture Show and not dressing up as anyone from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> And going to watch this thing and looking over my shoulder and seeing her on the bus, it was her first day there or something, and thinking, oh, my God, what is this before me? Yeah. The It was, I don't know if I tapped into to her, because to, she'd, she'd had lots of schools and was, she was exotic. Yeah. And obviously beautiful and all that stuff. And I thought, fuck. And then the next day I, I went through the proper channels of going through my friends and saying, how do I... How do you get me to this thing? And then we had a date at fifteen, and we've been together ever since, and never parted. And she can't bear that story. But why can't she?
0: I guess yeah. In good question, because because uh, uh, I mean it's, that's amazing. It's amazing to be with someone for that period of time, especially at that young age. Yeah, isn't it? To yep. kind of glue together at that point so you, you it was just an epiphany and you just knew that, that for me the it was person. I don't
1: know I think I, I'm not so sure it was for I think you yeah. know when we talk about it it's like it was love at first sight and you you? sure it was <laughs> um <laughs> but um I don't know yeah but it's lovely, and I'm really proud of it. It's probably my greatest. It should be, thing. yeah. It's oh.
0: amazing. Well, especially if you describe yourself as, do you have ADHD, or is that just something you say? But you, no, yeah, I absolutely
1: do, and we, my daughter okay. does now, and oh, sure. okay, my son you're... doesn't, interestingly enough, and he's very, he has the ability to have that calmness and be structured and, and yeah. do that stuff, which which Natalie is the same.
0: Yeah,
1: way far too so, far more intelligent and far more academic, and has that ability, and, and then you've got Albert and I. Bashing around the house like six. <laughs>
0: like wildebeest, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but that's kind of amazing, isn't it? if because you 'cause you're obviously someone that's you know, you've got this amazing energy about you and you're obviously always up to something. Is it is she is she the person in your life that just keeps you? The anchor, the anchored? total anchor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah could you right could you survive Don't without you get her? me going? Go on, could you oh, survive yeah. without her? <laughs> No she is absolutely yeah she's the anchor to it all, and the stability through all, like those moments talking you know where you you can make ten thousand dollars in a year and you have a, you have a child that needs stuff, and she goes out to work to, to feed us all you know that's that's massive stuff and the, and with that becomes the faith that she has in you as a person as an artist and as a, and not once in my However long we've been together, she ever questioned it ever, not even the dark times, not in the times when we were buying a chicken because it wasn't, we didn't want roast chicken. We wanted it because we could get a stock out of it and we could get sandwiches out of it and we could make it last the week and, and, and never once on the tube going at six where I'd be lay out in bed because I'd been on a bender going to an opening in Hackney. Never once did she question it. So that's right. Yeah, that's, that's mega. Yeah. Oof, Meg is not a great word either.
0: <laughs> no, but that, no, but good for you. I mean, that's l- lucky you that you that you found her. You know? Yes, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So is she very constant.
1: Is that the same story with with what well, with Faye and me?
0: <laughs> who knows? Let's
1: get it. Let's have a little bit. Come on.
0: Uh, who knows? I mean, no. In our in our relationship, I'm the I'm I'm very consistent character. Yeah and Faye is an artist, so I guess, it's, I guess
1: that works. I think, I don't know if it's- Are you it's, consistent? Yeah, that's lovely. I love consistent, not that I'm- the way that I'm Moving into flirt mode. That's the way that I'm wired, it's, it's mode, that I'm wired yeah. Consistency is, I love consistent people.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I yeah, I, and obviously I'm very attracted to people that are inconsistent as well. Mm. So there's, you know, we need all sorts, don't we? Mm. And, it, and so, so, as you know, the, 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 with this podcast, we sort of think about the past and the present and, and the future as well. So we've, I feel like we've kind of delved into the first two, but looking in... Certainly done the past. Looking, <laughs> <laughs> looking a bit further ahead, how, you know, you've, you've lived in, you know, so many different places. You've done so many different things. Is this the time in your life now for... Some of that consistency, maybe not too much, but some of it. And
1: how do you see things panning out moving forward? Yeah, this is the longest we've ever lived anywhere, which has been three years now. I've never lived anywhere three years, and we live in barns. So and I wasn't all,
0: expecting that. Ah, were you not? Well, no, because you know, so right. So you're living actually a, a kind of you know what what people would say is a traditional
1: family, very quiet existence in barns, right? Very privileged, very middle class. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I, Tilda Swinton, I remember saying to me, "Live your life quietly, and your art will be revolutionary." I thought it was a great, mm. lovely. And I think what I I can't live in Hackney or yeah. in in Soho. Or, I couldn't do it. I'd go mad. Yeah. I need uh, total peace, and I need because the I never really turn it off. So when I turn it off is on a is on a Saturday when I go to the farmers market and barns and get I buy the FT and I make myself a little tea and I sit before anyone gets up and then I walk around the common and I go into a ginger pig and buy something and I get some flowers and and it's so insanely quiet. Yeah. And I think that's without that I'd just be I couldn't do it, you know.
0: What well, what kind of house is
1: it? <laughs> Here we go, the building. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're back to buildings. I'm pulling afraid. at the
1: first turn. How many windows does it have? Exactly. <laughs> when was it it's, built? It's Georgian. It's Georgian, lovely. I hope it's Georgian. Yeah. I think it's Georgian. It's old. It's, old. it's old. it's lovely, creaky. I mean, it creaks. The floorboards. Yeah. Three stories. Little. It's a, a great house. Little tiny terrace at the back, and I'm two minutes. I'm on the Thames. I can jump into that griminess. It's very pretty, it's very pretty, quick. pretty there, though, isn't it? Very pretty. Yeah. Um, Really. Yeah, is. Some beautiful buildings. There. Yeah. But that's not where I'm dying.
0: No, I was gonna say, so okay, so you've been there three years, which is the world record. So what's yeah. what's
1: coming? Where I'm where I'm most comfortable is the Highlands and California. That's where I'm an island. So I've got this little triangle of my mum was from Sligo and Sligo and Ireland, yeah. Sligo and Ireland. So that's my real you know, when, when I land in in LAX and I go out and I see the friends and I, the restaurants and stuff, I feel that's where I'm really incredibly comfortable when I land at Inverness Airport and I go up to both houses and I'm fishing and I'm very comfortable. And then the minute I land at Knock Airport, um, <laughs> then I'm home. So the, the future is, as a kid I've drawn this house probably from 12, but it might have been a bit younger than that. We used to draw, mum used to ask us our dream home. She was obsessed by the lottery and obsessed by getting out and all that stuff.
0: Okay, so so she was going to win the lottery. She yep. wanted to think what the dream home Oh, every
1: night. In fact, Natalie was baffled. She would come round, or she was baffled by lots of things coming around to the house, but, <laughs> but baffled by the incessant talk of winning the lottery. So yep. I've been drawing it a long time. And it was always, and I got loads of lovely little drawings and i Of it was always I draw something on top of a mountain. It would be quite, always quite difficult to get to. It would be quite lonesome, quite depressing.
0: Well, we're a little bit on top of a mountain here and it's
1: quite difficult to get to. So that's obviously a theme. Yes, that's a theme. So, but then I got quite into it and I started drawing them properly, and then there was a couple of paintings. And there was a painting that struck me that was an Irish painting. So I was drawing. I would draw these studios, and I would get quite into it. I would, at the bottom, I would have my studio, and then, and then you would only get there by boat, and and I didn't want I didn't want anyone, but I want. And then I would often draw them with huge, big satellite things to pick up stuff. Don't quite get where I was going with that. But slowly, it got a bit more civilized, and it was just a lovely glass studio. That I could sleep in and I could work in and you could only get to by boat. And it was always on in California, somewhere off the coast of L.A. But as I'm getting older, I'm just thinking, right, well, who do I actually want to be around when I'm, when I'm dead, when I'm dying even? Yeah. Who do I want around the bed and all that stuff? And there's, there's no better race than the Irish to be around with death. Why is think. that? Because they just understand it and their take of it is so joyous When i think of my my mom, which didn't have a particularly great one because my from the english side and the family and didn't it was such i saw that huge difference in how they dealt with it and how we dealt with it and and they got it right and and i think if if i'm thinking about the dream house i think about one the conditions in which i want to live Yep. which I love the idea of being totally shut off from people. I okay. don't like people when I'm painting or when I'm doing stuff. And so I think building up to that, I think that's the dream home. And who I would get to make it, I'm not sure, and how it would all work. But I think in death, it would be somewhere off the coast of Sligo, probably, which is where my grandfather was from. And
0: Are you still painting it, this yeah, house. I did one,
1: I did a show at Mummery & Schnell in, from Andrew Mummery, who is a great gallerist. He had a, a, a gallery in, in Marlborough and that was the last... I think I sent a picture of it to you. Yes, yes. Um, that was the Beautiful. last painting I, I did of it. And I'm doing a show in Paris in uh, December at Gallery Pixie, and I'm, I'm going to do another couple of versions of it, actually. I'm going to get quite, quite into it.
0: What, and I mean, obviously, the weather's quite different to California. So would that would that would that be okay? Do you quite like the elements like that?
1: I, I'm not too fussed about the weather. Yeah. I don't understand the whole talk of it's sunny, it's wet, it's rainy, it's okay, cold. Okay, so
0: you're okay, so and but are you are you kind of someone that gets outdoors a lot, or you, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but you, you don't, you don't mind specific. if it's raining. You don't. You know. No, it's I'm
1: happy when the feet are wet. or yeah. I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. Um.
0: What's the appeal of California then, out of interest? Because obviously a lot of people say it's the weather, but putting that aside, what, what it draws you I think my first
1: arrival in California and Hollywood and the people yeah. and, that, and the bullshit that I did not believe was bullshit. You know, everyone talks about this overt optimism and yeah. okay. the fakeness of... And I didn't buy into any of that at all. I just found... I found a, a group of people that were, again, interested in being romantic yeah. and being nice and being about life I didn't find it bullshitty, so I love California for that and I love hanging out in LA and the and, and the fact that you can walk around it is absolutely anything The first time I arrived I remember I was wearing a lovely I arrived in LA in a lovely French boiler suit and amazing cowboy boots and I felt very happy clicking along <laughs> Santa Monica and I didn't get a stare <laughs> not a glance so that's, that can only be a good thing. That
0: can only be a good thing, yeah. <laughs> okay, but, so you're, but essentially it, it's, a, it's okay to be eccentric there and it's okay to be whoever you want to be, right? That's the, yeah. it's the land of opportunity thing. Yeah, and, that's and the like
1: idea money. you can create your life, yeah, you can create your story. Yeah. I think the greatest gift is the ability to, to have the freedom to create your story. Yeah. And at any point, 57 Yeah yeah
0: so when you're when you're in your house that you built in sligo or california but probably sligo mm-hmm. and you're looking, and you're <laughs> surrounded by mad irish people and they're they're making things quite jolly for you yeah which i think sounds good i like that yeah.
1: idea. oh the laughter would be The laughter. Oh. oh the wind escaping me at that point <laughs> that would be howled at and sniggered at the whiskey flowing the songs that will break out exactly. oh,
0: what a death breaking wind and breaking out songs Yes. so so what, what, what do you think that you'll look back on over your life with the greatest kind of fondness and how would you like your
1: life to be seen by others in a way I think kindness I think is the do you think there's not enough kindness around no and I don't I, I'm baffled by it because it's yeah. so much more difficult to be a dick yeah and I see it in so many people and I just think I don't I can't quite understand how they've not computed the fact that it's so much easier to be nicer. I actually really don't care what people think, but I care what my wife thinks of me and what my kids would think of me. Okay. And I would be I would hope that they would see me as someone that is full of intrigue and yeah. kind and that's really if I get that then I'm then I'm I've I've done more than enough.
0: Yeah. But do you think are you someone that wants to certainly leave a bit of a mark on the world in some way and i don't mean that in an egotistical way but mm. you know what i'm saying do you, you
1: know you're clearly not someone that's settling for the mundane right i don't think i am because i think i'm i feel like i'm aware enough to know that it doesn't really matter the things the greatness I think of all the great things that have happened and it's the little day-to-day the little glimpses the little moments the little things and actually they're all forgotten anyway so i'm not I'm not intrigued by leaving a, an incredible building or an incredible painting or an incredible work of art. Yeah. A book or a... I'm not, it's... Because I think they'll dissolve to dust anyway. Yeah. So kindness and uh, intrigue. Yeah. I think they're, that's what I'm after.
0: Yeah. With your dyslexia and your ADHD, which... I mean, may or may not have been diagnosed, but you know, you, you accept that you have this side to yourself that you obviously have a slightly, you know, I don't know if you'd put it like this, but maybe a slightly different energy to some other people might have. Yeah, I mean, I describe myself as kind of consistent. My observation of it from meeting you would be that that's been absolutely the key to everything that you're about and your success, because you've, you've clearly grown up in an environment where you've been surrounded by all sorts of different characters. Mm. And you've got you you know you've got that in your personality anyway, and, and, and it seems to me your great skill is being able to converse with people and find common ground with them and you know, you're clearly a great raconteur and, and you just clearly just love people. So I think I suppose that's how I would look at you and see your kind of legacy in a way, if I may say. I, I think oh, that's that you're lovely of you to say. Well no, I just think you're you know, you're you're a really interesting person to meet. You're incredibly open in a way that a lot of people aren't. So yeah, I've I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a bit. And hopefully I can get a restaurant reservation at some point. Well, that's done,
1: (laughs) but it's been, I've been overwhelmed by the pleasure of doing it. I was worried about it and I didn't want to do it at some point actually, and this morning even more so. And I've wrestled with it a few days, but after meeting with you as well, and you're gonna get really corny. I think what I would like to do is is talk to you more and absolutely focus on you. <laughs> oh no. right? That's the end of it. And get this away from me because I think the way you've ans- the way you've your sensitivity has come through, and I'm really excited to get into that. And let's get away from me for a little bit.
0: <laughs> Good place to start. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> thank you all for listening, uh, and thank you to Johnny for a very memorable afternoon. As always, if you can spare a second to rate and review the show, that would be hugely appreciated. A reminder as well to please tap follow on your screen so that you're alerted about new episodes as soon as they get released. Homing In is a podcast from The Modern House. You can find out more about us by visiting themodernhouse.com. This episode was edited and produced by Hannah Phillips with music by Father. Very much look forward to talking to you on the next one. Bye for now.